0: The, the, the type of things you do to
1: make this show better actually make the show worse. <laughs> I don't know, the sound check's over.
0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Sounds from the 70s with Gary and Rob, sometimes known as the male Ellen DeGeneres. I don't know what that was. Uh, coming to you for a little while longer in a shack. Someone's shack out in the woods somewhere. Creepy see. and foreboding. Uh, now, we haven't seen our new place to record the show yet. But I have heard that it's not a shack in the woods out in the middle of nowhere. Which, to me, makes it a winner. <laughs> hmm. as far as I'm concerned. I mean, uh, because we, it's not even our shack.
1: No, I did our house. We
0: place. were just told by uh, mountaineers, they're not really mountaineers, I guess you'd call them mountain, men. mountain <laughs> men, that it would be good to do the show between seven and nine in the evening while they're out hunting. And not them, but whoever owns the shack is out hunting. And never let them catch you in the shack or you will not be seen again.
1: Yeah, because they process uh, all the, the deer there. and uh, there's Process the deer. I've ne- they don't talk like that. They don't go. we're going to process the deer. I'm using code talk, so they don't understand what I'm talking Because <laughs> yeah. they're probably listening. Yeah, they love our show.
0: Um, <laughs> <laughs> probably the last time they listened to music was in the 70s. So maybe they do. Uh, we will be moving out to our new uh, digs. Is that what people say? Digs or uh, uh, crib? <coughs> I don't know. I never moved. Oh, no, I
1: did move last year. And I I'm was trying to figure out place. what the kids say. Do they call it a crib? Do they call it digs? Do they call it a pad? No. I can say no to all three of those. Oh, really? But I have none I can say yes to.
0: How about um, a domicile? Domicile. Some of them. The weird ones. Okay, forget it. We will be moving out there because <laughs> we can't find a, a appropriate name which will, will be hip with the young people. We'll be moving out there in three or four weeks, and there shouldn't, shouldn't I say to Rob, be any disruptions. I don't know why I said it to Rob. Oh, because it's my job to make sure there's no disruptions. There's no disruptions in us producing our shows, uh, because the move should go smooth as molasses on a gravel road on a hot summer day.
1: <sighs> <laughs> see, I was, I don't I see I that, was poetic there, wasn't I? You were, and we also got just a little bit of stuff to move, so (laughs) could be easy. (laughs) And also we got a little bit of, just a little bit of stuff to move. Um,
0: So you kind of took my poeticism away because you just said we had a little bit of stuff. Uh, Okay, this week uh, I'm going to skip ahead i don't know if i want to do that you know when you write something for a script and and at two o'clock in the morning it seems really funny and then uh
1: really appropriate and and
0: then the like the next day or the day after you read it and you go oh it doesn't sound that funny anymore what was i thinking yeah it was more of like what am i thinking type of thing so i don't know if i am gonna but then we have a time gap you know right after the
1: show or you get home and you'll read it and you'll oh now i remember Damn, I should have used that. Yes, I will get that later
0: on. Uh, On the show today, we will be reviewing another album released by a solo Beatle 50 years ago in 1973. And this week, we will be looking at John Lennon's album, Mind Games. Oh, I had had a joke for that, but I forgot. So, uh, (laughs) I... Uh, so, uh, think of a joke for yourself and put that in my place. Already did. <laughs> Released in November of 1973. I'm going to speak like that from now on, I think. Oh. Yeah, and I'll say 2048 and stuff like that.
1: I'll do the Senator Bob. And I'm like, uh, yeah, you, you, I don't know what the
0: fuck that means. Uh, I don't know. So, i got time to waste. Oh, I didn't get a letter this week. This is not part of our uh, email, but I did get a letter this week, complaining about um Me? The lack. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think it would be about? <laughs> I never get. You know, it's funny. I never get letters like anybody ever says. They, they just, it's just like, oh, that guy who does the show, and another guy that I give each. other guy. He's gotta yeah. go.
1: Why do you keep him around?
0: <laughs> <laughs> and it's never. It's like, oh yeah. There's nothing really to talk about with that Gary guy. But that 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 jughead that he's got, and I, I actually saw the word jughead
1: in this letter. So it's like I'm Archie and you are jughead. I'm dragging you down. Yeah, you're trying to date Veronica. I'm preventing it. Oh,
0: you see, that's that's the thing that drives this show down. <laughs> is is it seems like an appropriate comment for what I'm talking about, but it, he, he seems to have some sort of mental problem and. It's no I'm at a loss. And it's
1: aggravating. Oh,
0: it is. It drives you nuts. It's like, I'm doing this show for the benefit of the people. And all I get back from the people is, why do you have this guy here? What is his problem? Why don't you get him help? Serious help. And
1: soon. I think you're doing the show solo. But really, you're doing the show with a bag tied around your head. <laughs> <laughs> That's, uh, that is,
0: uh. A lot of what I have to deal with, and but you know what? I I'm hanging in there. I I'm I'm doing the best I can. You know what? You understand, right? I'm doing the best I can with with the uh, the the negative forces that I have to deal with.
1: The best that you can is the best you can well, do.
0: Yeah. I mean, how many scripts have you written since we started? I'm a curious.
1: Well, uh, since that gypsy cursed me, uh, I haven't come up with anything. By the way, there was no gypsy. <laughs> and there was no curse. No, if there was a gypsy, I'd, I'd be buying some babies. Uh, if you're trying to think, it's zero. <laughs> zero. If you're thinking it's one, no, that's too it's too many. You know, I got to write a script for next week. And I then, gotta, and then if I you did get write a script,
0: I, I I wouldn't want it. So it's a, it's, it's a catch twenty two situation. Hello,
1: listeners. Welcome to.
0: Okay, <sighs> don't don't make everybody. I'd go to the uh, yeah we lost everybody. The it's either sounds uh,
1: from the 70s or sounds of the 70s, one of the two.
0: You don't know after I, all these years <laughs> what the t- title of the show. See, Actually, That's what I have to do. For about. the
1: first year, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> no, two, two or three years ago. I listen. If all I of you have went to by the this time of learning the title of the show we're doing,
0: tuned in <laughs> to the
1: gardening show,
0: I don't blame you. Uh, we're gonna get. You know what we're going to do? We're going to get off this subject. Because I had more to say, but I think Rob proved my point without me saying any more words. I think I reek of professionalism. I, I try, people. I try so hard. <laughs> <laughs> and I come against this uh, this wall of of uh, ignorance almost. It's frustrating. Oh, it is. <laughs> it is all oh, they knew. If only they knew. <laughs> uh now today Rob oh. no I'm not going to oh. say Rob See, the, you're starting to interrupt too expecting. much you're starting to interrupt too much and it's going to stomp on my lines and it's going to stomp on my jokes so you just got to be a lot more like yes sir oh that's a good point sir You, that's fantastic <laughs> I think I can accommodate you there <laughs> You make William B. William look like some sort of genius. <laughs> <laughs> nice one. <laughs> uh, we will be looking today at the always hateful relationship between Pink Floyd members. Oh. Uh, specifically, uh, well, almost really all about Roger Waters and David Gilmour. Because they don't like each other much. And that's uh, that's putting it lightly, and uh, you know what's interesting is that I first uh, read about this um, way before, not way before, uh, a little bit before they broke up, which they didn't break up. But that's a whole story altogether. <laughs> but like in the mid eight, in the early 80s, I remember in high school, and uh, a friend of mine had the, the Pompeii video.
1: Oh well, yeah, and yeah, he I lent it to me,
0: and which is which is a great great video. And uh, he was telling me, you know, they don't like each other, and and then you see them in the cafeteria scene. This is like when they are recording Dark Side of the Moon, and they're all eating, and and yet you could feel the tension because they all had to sit together, one by one, side by side, and it's like, uh, I mean, you could feel the tension if you see the movie. You know what I'm talking about. And um, uh, David Gilmour always said that the band worked very well up until I think Animals, and and the big thing was, of course, while they were in Pink Floyd, is that Roger wanted a uh, Roger Waters uh, wanted uh, more control of the band as. As He really wanted, I guess, from hearing what the other members say, to be more of a uh, Roger Waters and Pink Floyd than anything else. And so the, the combination of writing songs that were occasionally written with, by David Gilmour and Richard Wright were, were no longer a scene, as they say. They wouldn't allow it. He would Roger not. He would, no. not he, he would bring, and, and there is a the point that he would bring in the concept, and then they would they would accommodate them when there wasn't a lot of room because he would bring in. Oh, I got a concept for this dark side of the moon, and then uh, there's not a lot of room. Although you know, Richard Wright wrote "The Great Vic in the Sky," which is one of my favorite Pink Floyd songs, uh, beautiful song. And uh, but then it, it became more and more. This is my vision, and the vision became darker. The vision became more political. And David Gilmore especially does not like politics. He doesn't want his politics and music, or politics in general, and music. And Roger Waters basically wanted almost everything to be about politics and stuff. So Animals was really the album where it was uh, uh, Roger Waters and kind of like everybody else. Almost everything is is his songs. I think I think except for two. To Rob and uh, and poor Rich, uh, uh, Richard Wright, who I always think was is my favorite member of the band, was my favorite member of the band. Uh, I always thought that he brought the sound of Pink Floyd more than anybody. The sound of Pink Floyd was Rick Wright, and uh, but he hit one of those periods around animals where he just couldn't come up with stuff, you know, it must be very hard to be in a band that has to come up with keyboard parts all the time and you, you're making albums all the time and, and you're just like, I can't right now. And it's like, well, it's too bad. You know, Roger Waters has, has seems to me, since I don't like him, seems to be an incredibly difficult person to work with. And if you come in and say, I got nothing, it's like, well, come on, get your shit together, man. So, you know, there's conflicts in that. And then after that, I remember uh, they all worked on solo projects because it was a way of, of expressing themselves because they were no longer, the individual members were no longer to express themselves in Pink Floyd because it was now becoming all Roger Waters. And 1978 after Animals was the time of uh, Richard Wright's solo album and uh, David Gilmore. David Gilmore. Blah, blah, blah. And then The Wall came out, which again was, was totally Roger Waters' idea. It was a brilliant idea. I will give the man his due when it is uh, appropriate, and uh, it's a brilliant idea. But I'm telling you, that sound doesn't doesn't come from Roger Waters alone. The incredible guitar playing, uh, uh, Rick Wright's keyboards, even though um, he got fired, they all played. He got really fired, well but then he got rehired for the album. But this time as a session musician. <clears throat> And I thought his keyboards were, uh, as usual, the sound of Pink Floyd, which is why they broke up. At the end, was uh, they couldn't the other guys except for Roger. He wasn't in the band anymore, but they said we can't we can't have Pink Floyd without uh, Rick Wright uh, when he died of cancer. So um, the wall was pretty much a dictatorship, and then the final cut was really the final cut.
1: Yeah, I First of remember all, David Gilmore saying that was... Uh, oh, yeah, because it was Roger pretty Waters much Soul a water, water
0: solo album. And it really was. It, and but, but to be honest with you, I remember our friend Tom. He actually lent me the album uh, in like 1983. And I thought, I was expecting it to be really bad. I don't know why. I guess because of what I had heard. It was a really good album. But it was definitely... it's a very somber piano vocal album, which I was surprised at. And... And it was all Roger Waters. Like there was no, the other guys played. Well, not Rick Wright by that time. Rick Wright was, was kicked out of the band, and the, the keyboards was done by somebody else. Didn't really matter. Didn't matter. To Roger Waters. It really wasn't Pink Floyd. It was it was Roger Waters. But I will give the due. I mean, it got its its criticism at the time, but I think um, the final cut was an excellent record. And uh, but it you know it wasn't Pink Floyd anymore. So then. That's where this story really starts. Is at the end. It's funny, but the story really starts at the end. The seeds start in in Pink Floyd with the the, the domination from from four people uh, contributing to the music to the total domination by one person. But then after the final cut, Roger Waters quits in 1985. Because, well, if I'm making solo music and it's called Pink Floyd, why don't I make solo music and just call it mine? Which makes sense. I'm not knocking that. But, But, uh, so Roger Waters uh, made one of the most egotistical and stupid mistakes uh, in rock and roll history, I think, when he not only decided to quit the band, but decided to go to court and just end Pink Floyd because... By God, I am Pink Floyd. <laughs> and no, that's not my ego talking,
1: but You can't have Pink Floyd without <laughs> me. However, you just said you can't have Pink Floyd without Rick Wright. I think you need all four. Well,
0: that's what I mean. All right. You know what I mean? Uh, but he's saying you can't have Pink Floyd without me. And yes, I agree. You have a good point. You can't have Pink Floyd without all four members. But if you're going to say to me, I'm Pink Floyd, then I'm going to keep on going on just despite uh, your, your egotistical collapse. Oh, by the way,
1: which one's pink? It's that guy.
0: Now, I do believe, uh, without knowing these guys, they're not my friends. Uh, Nick Mason was for a while, but we had a falling out. Yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> he owed you money. He owed money. money. It's, it's, if you're going to pay your debts, pay your debts. Yeah. Anyways, uh, I do believe that Pink Floyd might have kind of gone their way if Roger Waters wouldn't have done what he did, which was kind of like say, I'm Pink Floyd, you guys are bullshit. He said uh, that to announce his departure, Waters issued a statement to EMI and CBS Records invoking the leaving member clause in his contract as the main creative force in the band. He didn't believe (laughs) Pink Floyd could continue in his absence, which is bullshit. Because it is, it is
1: total bullshit. They had a few pretty good albums uh, after he left. So,
0: but even up to that point, David Gilmour had written albums, uh, written songs. Richard Wright had written songs. David Gilmour and Richard Wright were both very good singers. About Face was his second album. Yeah. Oh, I love that album. I bought it. I bought, really it. I bought it immediately when it was released. I love that album. Um, so, yeah, if he could write an album that good, then why can't I just write an album that good uh, and have Pink Floyd play on it? That's my thinking. Especially, that that's such a good point, Rob. And his first album, by the way, my brother bought, which I love, David Gilmore, back in 1978, which I also love. Uh, so, obviously, uh, David Gilmore uh, was, could, could make great music and write great music and sing great music and... Roger Waters always held contempt for him. And, uh, so Roger Waters, like I said, he labeled the group, uh, spent force creatively, that's, that's stupid. Even he later admitted it was one of the stupidest legal moves he ever did and probably caused the friction. Pink Floyd would probably have died and they would have gone all their way solo. But when you, when you like poke the bear. Sometimes them. sometimes the bear is going to say I'm not going to I normally wouldn't eat you but since you poked me I'm going to fucking eat you. Yeah, we kind of
1: <laughs> had no plans on continuing to be Pink Floyd till you'd behave like a
0: dick. Exactly. Uh, so he resigned and 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 he lost the he he it could have gone on for years but Roger Waters uh decided not to pursue it because it would have been too costly and all that so he dropped that I am the Pink Floyd thing uh and let David gilmore and Nick Mason who opposed those claims uh to uh to carry on with the name Pink Floyd and to rub uh, salt in the wound of Roger Waters the Pink Floyd albums which admittedly weren't as good because as Rob said and he's right takes all four members of a band like that yeah. uh, the albums weren't as good but they were good they were good, they were good. and um, that just that just steamed Roger Waters I like Roger more.
1: Waters solo albums but I don't think they sold as well as. Uh, now
0: I like this first album Pros and Cons of Hitchhiking released in 1984
1: again I and like I'll, Radio Chaos I, uh, was one of them. I,
0: I'm not you're see, partial to that one? no I have to admit that other, uh, and I remember. let go back. We have talked about this with with. We, we can't talk about this without mentioning our late friend Tom because he was a uh, not only a big Pink Floyd fan, but he was kind of a Roger Waters fan. But he wasn't a guy that got hung up on. Um, what would you say, like the demagoguery of it? He liked the music, but he didn't. He didn't go for the personalities. You know what I mean, Rob? Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, like. If if Roger Waters was a prick, then he was a prick. Or Dave yeah, Gilmore was uh, like that. Could turn he off. was he just liked the music. In other words, like he didn't go for, for all that personality shit. So I remember I listened. He was the one who gave me the final cut to listen to. I borrowed it and and uh, taped it. Whatever I can say, I did. I guess it doesn't matter anymore. are <laughs> maybe you're a pirate. And uh he gave me the pros and cons of hitchhiking, which I really liked. I like the I liked the song. I remember when I heard it on the radio at the time. I thought a very smart album. Then it this stuff all got political and and then it just lost me and and I remember even Tom, like Tom, if you if you divert and you do something he doesn't like, like I said, he doesn't say, Oh, yeah. I like that guy, so I'm I'm sticking with him. No, Tom was definitely, if if you make something I don't like, then, then screw you. I'll, I'll, I'll listen to something else. And Tom was like, I remember I'm used to death. And he said it was like one of the most boring or terrible albums I've ever heard. And uh, what's all this preaching? What's all this? I remember he said, what's all this I, I, I shit? <laughs> and uh, he, uh, he, Tom was very straightforward, let's say. <laughs> and uh but he always gave me a good barometer of Roger Waters because he kind of bought every of his every one of his albums because he always wanted to hear how they sounded. I don't think he bought one too much after *Amused to Death*. I think he was like, "You uh, kind of pissed me off, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna buy your music anymore. You're you're getting too far uh, political for me." And um, so, in uh, what you're saying, Rob, I'm actually not I'm not a fan of Roger Waters as a person. I'll admit that while we're doing this. And I was early on for one album, I think, hosting concept hitchhiking, but other than that, uh, and I do think, but there have been songs that I've really liked, from solo stuff. I saw Roger Waters when he came to town here when he did Dark Side of the Moon. 2010, something like mm-hmm. that, 29. It was one of the best concerts I've ever seen. It was fabulous. He played all of Dark Side of the Moon, and he had this, if you've ever seen it, many people around the world have seen it. It was... Uh, uh, an amazing event he played pink floyd songs and then you know then he played dark side of the moon to end the show or something like that or before i don't know but it was it was one of the best shows i've ever seen and uh i don't know i at that time i could separate the man that i did not like with the with the musician but as time has gone by in the last 12 or 13 years i have found his positions to be more and more insane <laughs> or irrational and the thing about roger waters and i'm getting off this topic which I, I i i'm going to get back on it but what i find about roger waters every time i hear him speak is that this is what i do so this is what you should
1: do and i detest that and it's exactly politics that's exactly politics politics is by my definition which is the only definition that matters to me the art or science of controlling other people this is what you should do yes Uh,
0: this is what you should do my point of view is the right point of view i've heard that many times Mm -hmm. and to to say anything otherwise is just stupidity well as rob says that's also political talk and that's it doesn't, it's not very rock and roll talk. Rock and roll talk is like, you either like my music or you don't or whatever. But his is always like, uh, that's uh, my way or or the highway. And now I got a feeling of what it was like to be in Pink Floyd. I know it's much worse now, I would think. But it had to be some of, uh, or a lot of that also in Pink Floyd where this is my idea uh, he seems to be kind of a bully, to be honest with you. And I've always liked David Gilmore. Every time I hear David Gilmore speak, he's like one of those calm Englishmen, you know, like, oh, well, you know, I'm trying to get the album done. And he seems to be, but he's also very, um, like, you know, if you push me too much, um, I may I, I act like a gentleman, but I can push back. And I like that. I, I'm a big David Gilmore fan, both as a musician a singer, a guitarist of course, one of the best guitarists oh, yeah. of all time, just just the only guy who could just blow you away with one note. Um but I like his personality. I like that he stands up to bullies. Anybody that can stand up to a bully is okay with me. And I like that he's the one guy that says, "No, you're not going to you're not going to roll over me. Fuck you." Um so they did do their one comeback, which I'm still surprised they did. They played the Live 8 concert. Live 8, not Live Aid. <laughs> if anybody remembers that Bob Geldof in 2005 uh, had a uh, benefit concert in eight cities around the world and Pink Floyd played in London on the same day, I should say. And uh, played on London. And I incredibly enough Bob Geldof got got David Gilmour and and Rick Wright and, and Rick Wright has just as much uh, <laughs> distaste for Roger Waters as David Gilmore does. All right,
1: I'll play the gig if it's for charity, but not if I have to talk to Roger. Exactly.
0: <laughs> and uh, you, you know, and it was it was they were they were magic. It was like they had never. I guess they had one um, rehearsal, really quick rehearsal, and they came on, and they were just like, whew, man, that's Pink Floyd, those four guys together." Unfortunately, that's the last time they got together. Uh, uh, Rick Wright died in, I can't remember, 2009, 2010. That was very sad. I remember that day, and I said, well, Pink Floyd's over because Pink Floyd is Rick Wright as far as his sound is concerned. And and it was. Even David David Gilmore said right after that. I have to admit, Roger Waters put up a beautiful thing about Rick Wright, even though he never got along with Rick Wright, being the fucking hypocrite that he is. He put up something really nice on his website for him. Um, but they did this great gig at Live 8 and uh, and then there was one other time and I don't know what year this was I, I I really don't know but before after it was the wall tour it was when it was when um, Roger Waters after he did the Dark Side of the Moon tour he then toured for the wall I don't know what year it was 2012 2013 Rob sure. was it yeah okay uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and uh. Uh, David Gilmour and Nick Mason came on at the end uh, with the last song, Outside the Wall, and just played a little bit of uh, accordion and something like that. And For the last song, very nice that they did that. That was really the last kind of amicable amicable, uh, association between them, which is about 10 years ago or so. Uh, Then it's been uh, just hateful remarks back and forth. And to be honest with you, I think the hateful remarks start by Roger Waters instigating it and saying these little things in interviews. And Nick Mason and, and, and David Gilmore just having to respond, you know. And if somebody's attacking you, then you're going to respond. Um, and Roger Waters, uh, uh, he still manages to find things that irritate him about David Gilmore. And uh in a five-minute video shared on his Twitter page in 2020, Rogers lamented the decision not to allow him access to the Pink Floyd uh social media channels. Uh despite David Gilmore's wife, Polly Sampson, being allowed to use the platforms to promote her novels. Well he quit the band. <laughs> and and they do have uh, I did check that out I mean they do have a section on Roger Waters they just don't promote his stuff and rightly so because I'm sorry if you quit the band then you're not in the band, so why do they want to promote your stuff? Whereas Paulie Sampson, I agree. Maybe they they shouldn't do her stuff because she's not in the band either. Being married to a person in the band doesn't make you in the band. Yeah. But at least you have a connection to the band that's more recent than thirty years ago. or Forty-five when you quit, and then you want your.
1: I know it's a, it's. No, no, I'm not saying I'm uh, standing up for Roger. I'm just saying Paulie uh, shouldn't be there. Oh yeah, I
0: agree. I agree. I'm not I'm not disputing that, but I'm just saying. If you look at who has a right right now to be on the website, you think that a person that's involved in the Pink Floyd stuff actually has more of a right than a person who quit 30 years ago. So he just had this, uh you know, terrible thing. He said one and a half million of you people have viewed our new version of Mother. He re-recorded Mother, which is lovely. It really warms my heart. He's such a fucker. But it, but it, but it does bring up the question: Why is this video not available on a website that calls itself the Pink Floyd website? Well, the answer to that question is because nothing from me is on the website. I am banned by David Gilmore from the website. Now, banned is is a is a strong word. I would do the same thing. I'm sorry if a member of my band quit. <laughs> And then release something new? Why the fuck would I put it on the website of the band when he has nothing to do with the band anymore?
1: <laughs> if I may make a, a side point, as near as I can tell, I'm banned from the Pink Floyd website as well. Or least we're voting on it. That's that's because you, you had oh, some yeah. words with Roger Waters that one time, and remember? the fisticuffs. We fought. But they still shouldn't have... Uh, I mean, uh, <sighs> Roger shouldn't have... Uh, he shouldn't be there. No, just take him out back. Beat him up.
0: No, uh, I do. I do disagree with having your wife on, even though she's a very talented person. She's that's she's, not Pink Floyd. That's not Pink Floyd. That's not Pink Floyd. Uh, Nick Mason says it's it's a constant irritation, really. That. Uh, that there's still that he's still like Roger Waters can't get over them and this is what Nick Mason said and Nick Mason is still a good friend with Roger Waters he is he's he's a very good friend with both of them but he says he can't understand and why Roger Waters will not let this go he will never let the fact go that they were able to carry on with him so successfully. I mean, they played our city on the Pulse tour. They got like 60,000 people there, and there was no Roger Waters
1: there. Yeah, wasn't that the one where they did two concerts? Yeah, they
0: even did two concerts, and they were sold out here. And that's... uh, I think they even took some of the footage from here. I can't remember. It doesn't matter. But... uh, he says it's just a constant irritation to him to have Pink Floyd come out with records and have them do so well. And Roger Waters just hates it. It's like, it's like he has to comment on it because it just bugs him because he <laughs> wanted to be Pink Floyd and his, their records sell better than his. And it really is a sad indictment. Uh, and he says, it's so... Uh, not, uh, sorry, Nick Mason said, it's really disappointing that these rather elderly gentlemen are still at loggerheads. And all these Pink Floyd fans want them to get back together, not, not necessarily in band, but just to be friends. I'm sorry, sometimes it's not possible. Sometimes a person, and I know what, I know. I know, from, <laughs> I know from first-hand knowledge that it's sometimes not possible to be in a room with somebody without it getting contentious because people change and they move on, and they're not the same as when you're kids. And life happens, and and we all change in one way or another. We still re- retain our core identity, but we all change. And sometimes, as you can see with Roger Waters, how he's become so outspoken from the 1970s till now, he's become so much more outspoken, so much more with his crazy theories, that you want them to be friends just because you want them to be friends. <laughs> it ain't gonna happen and i know rob knows from my the own example you're... that if i don't I, I don't get along with a certain person who used to be in our band and i don't think i can't see in my lifetime unless <laughs> things change ever that changing uh,
1: unfortunately he's uh, crossed the crazy line so uh
0: once you cross that crazy line why do anybody want to associate with that person i don't
1: no and after all the years that you also realize no change is going to happen. Right. And,
0: and you're just two different uh, people now. You know, you always yes. think you're, when you're kids, you're going to always be in the same band. You're always going to think <laughs> yeah. the same way. But it doesn't happen. And I understand the other point of view of changing and on, on, on the other person's part and on my part. But I've basically stayed the same as far as my musical intentions are concerned uh but i've also uh i don't know you just evolve as a person and uh sometimes also music goes to people's heads and they think they're bigger than they are that sometimes happens when you become a musician for a long time and uh that's why it's hard to be in the same room with them is because they keep on talking about the same conflicts and it's like i can't do this i understand and i would I would say they're better off without each other. I really do. Now, there's there's this thing about, I'm not going to get into it, the political thing about uh, Roger Waters talking about Israel being like this terrible nation and blah, blah, blah. Not going to talk about that. And and then, uh, but that leads up, oh, I got to talk about this though. The animals thing. <laughs> this is, This is what really got me going on this. And wanting to do this segment. And I know we're going to be late Just, again. You got to finish. I know. We got to finish. You can't
1: leave us in suspense. So
0: they, as Pink Floyd, are still, with the catalog that they did, there's still the three of them left. So when the company says we want to re-release like stuff. They all have to agree with it and look over stuff, the three members. Uh, yeah. So Animals, which came out last year, was supposed to come out like a long time before. But each member has to agree on it because it's still Pink Floyd pre-1983, right? Um. So David Gilmour vetoed the release of the album unless the liner notes that Roger Waters didn't write but he got somebody to write were removed because it, it, it made him seem like he didn't do nothing on the record and roger waters was everything on it so uh uh this is so this is so ugly it's really unbelievable and but i can understand it i can when you (laughs) actually are in that situation i understand it so uh, uh roger waters said there's a small part of an ongoing campaign by David Gilmore and his wife uh, to claim more credit for Dave on the work he did in Pink Floyd between 1967 and 1985 that that, that is not his due. Yes he was, he's so condescending, a jolly good guitarist and singer, but he has for the last 35 years told a lot of whopping Porky pies, as they say in England,
1: <laughs> that means lies. That Fibs. means lies
0: about who did what in Pink Floyd when I was still in charge. See, when there's an egotist yeah, right there. And now, yeah. when I was when still, I was in still charge. running things in that right. haphazard
1: organization.
0: Uh, now, before these inflammatory statements about the animals uh, liner notes, uh, David Gilmour said to Rolling Stone, talking about the release saying a very lovely animals remix has been done, but someone has tried to force, and I believe this has tried to force some liner notes on it that I haven't approved of. And someone Roger Waters (laughs) is digging his heels and not allowing it to be released until he gets those liner notes published saying, look how much I did. Look how much I did. Look how great I am. Uh, quite obviously referencing Roger Waters, Gilmore went on saying, it's just getting a bit shirty as they say get in England. Uh, You know how it is, poor boy. (laughs) (laughs) And then when asked flatly about a reunion, Gilmore said, very unlikely, I'm afraid, Uh, which of course that, uh, of course. So what Roger Waters did being the prick that he is, is that he said, okay, we won't have the liner notes, But you know what world I'm putting them up on my website and you can see them, which is a, it is completely legal, but to me is a real dirty thing to do. Because when a band doesn't sign off together on it, then it kind of becomes a dead issue, but then to say, okay, we won't release it here, but I'll release it here is, well, it's an unspoken code, I guess is what we're saying. It was a great
1: work. It had to be released. Okay, no, the liner notes. I mean, that's I mean. The yeah, liner notes. The liner, yeah, Roger Waters. A uh, great work of Roger Waters. Therefore, they had to be released. They couldn't be uh, kept in the can. That's kind of what he was saying. <laughs>
0: <laughs> if you want the truth, then you have to go to my website and read the liner notes. Look at the truth according to him. I don't know what exactly the truth is, but I kind of believe more the non-crazy guy than the crazy guy. <laughs> Kind of end this it hasn't got any better by the way if you haven't noticed the, the animals uh reissue has been released last year without the liner notes and and everything so uh and i guess uh, i don't go to roger Waters' website and probably never will but the animals uh liner notes are probably on there if you want to see them i wouldn't read them uh and then there's the stuff he said about uh, Roger Waters said about Palestine and Israel and blah, blah, blah. I'm just going to tell you what, uh, and I just love this because this is like uh, the response by David's wife, David Gilmore's wife, Polly Sampson, uh, decided she'd had enough. And she said in a statement, sadly, Roger Waters, you are an anti-Semitic, which he is. I'm sorry. If you want to sue me, go right ahead. You are an anti-Semitic to your rotten core, She said. And you, as a Putin apologist, he's on the side of the Russians, by the way, and a and a lying, thieving, hypocritical, tax avoiding, lip syncing, misogynistic, sick with envy, megalomaniac. <laughs> Enough of your nonsense, Paulie. How, you, how do you How do you really feel? feel? <laughs> and you know what? So David Gilmore added. Every word demonstrably true. <laughs> and I think that's great. I think that's calling a bully, a bully. And I think that's saying, you know what, enough of your crazy political, uh, conspiracy theories, if you want to do something, do it. And, uh, I, I, I shouldn't say that. I, I'm just saying that what I have heard him say, uh, I find it to be anti-Semitic. If it's not, I apologize. But don't actually don't sue me because I have no money. If you want, it'll just be a a waste of time. Yeah, it's a waste of time. But uh, (laughs) I I just—that's how bad it's gotten—is—is—is these comments in the press, and that's how bad a band can turn. But it always takes sometimes one person to stir the pot. One person with a big ego. And I'm not putting it on... Because David Gilmore could have let it lie. But I kind of like it that he fought back. I kind of like it that every time Roger Waters would say something really demeaning, he would say, fuck you back. You know, I like that. Uh, That's kind of what I did. (laughs) Every time somebody in my band did something stupid, I can't just let it lie. I'm either going to let it lie or I leave, which I
1: did at the end because I couldn't take it anymore. (sighs) We weren't going to... What was our productivity rate over the 12 years we attempted to record our last recording? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It only
0: took about seven years to record our album, to have it taken away, to actually have it. And I don't want to get into it, but the short end of the story is that it was really Rob and I's album, even more Rob's. But I was supposed to be the producer of the album and playing on it. And we had a vision for the album. And we seriously worked on it for five or six years and then at the end it was taken away from us by a person in the band who hardly wrote anything for it who hardly even thought of the idea in the first place and that was the point of which I did not I could not even as even as Uh, a non-musical person associate with him anymore because we had nothing in common this was
1: not artistic differences this was just uh, how can we trust you
0: that's exactly the point. We can't trust you anymore. And if we can't trust you as a friend, then we can't trust you in our band. And you that's both. why I that's understand this Pink Floyd situation. So it, it is, of course, the Pink Floyd situation is on a much huger scale because you're talking millions of dollars. But human interaction is still the same no matter what it is. It's human interaction. Mm-hmm. And I identify with all of this bullshit going back and forth because I identify... Uh, with just people growing apart and when you're in a band you're almost always you're always part of the history of that band you're that's always part of you so that person is always connected to you that person we're talking to you about who caused so much grief uh will always be a part of our history so that never leaves. It's not like, it's like a divorce. When you have a divorce with somebody, you're always going to be that person's ex. No matter what you think of it, legally, you're always that person's ex. Well, that person is in a band is always an ex-member of that band.
1: So that history is always there. And If they ever stop antagonizing, well, no, they can't stop antagonizing each other because it's gone too far
0: right that's the point you know what you always sum things up in one (laughs) sentence i you know you gonna Uh, want to
1: see (laughs) but it's just it's 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 been too much my final thoughts on this matter is the world needs more john anderson's
0: thank you Uh,
1: (laughs) i wish i could be more like john anderson
0: and i mean that
1: yeah life's too short
0: Life is too short. Uh, if I if I had the attitude that that John Anderson and has, do
1: the, do the positive things that you love and ignore all that stuff. That, I, the, I just, he's an amazing. He is an amazing time. person. He really is. I
0: I'm I'm not joking. I wish I could be more like him. I am like him in a way, but not as good as that.
1: No, <laughs> he, he he radiates positivity. He does. I have positivity, <laughs> but I keep it to myself. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so we're uh, running late again but uh we are reviewing today uh john lennon's 1973 album mind games i think i said when it was released uh i said i think in november it was actually released in late october late october in the u.s 1973 and for some strange reason two weeks later in november in england They did that a lot back then. I don't know why. It's a long time, especially when you're a UK artist. I find that a lot. And and, and I didn't know this too much uh, until I started this program. But I have found out that a lot of the uh, release dates between North America and the UK are always... Sometimes it's a whole month or a month and a half before. A okay. And it's usually the UK. It's usually the UK being left behind for like a month. or Mostly it's like sometimes it's two weeks. But sometimes it's a whole month. And I'm
1: surprised. I, I didn't know that. I didn't know that at all. Because of that course. That's weird. Because nowadays you have a, a release. It's a big. Or you used to have a release. And it was a big thing. And you wanted it released everywhere. So I think was.
0: since the 80s started. I think they all get released on the same date. I don't know exactly what year, but back then in the seventies, wow! I, I'm surprised that you know you'd have to wait a couple of weeks to hear an album in the in the UK uh, than you would in North America. That's that's really strange. It almost makes you. A lot of people didn't do it then, but you could have uh, if you really wanted to hear it. You could have uh, spent a little bit more money and ordered uh pre ordered an import copy.
1: They'd it to you. Air to oh, air I know it, it was. <laughs> It was different back it's then. It's coming it was, over on the Concorde. Uh,
0: very expensive. <laughs> it, and it only, by the time you got it, you were six weeks behind because it took about eight weeks back <laughs> then for stuff to get there. So I can understand like why you didn't do it. Um, let me get on my page here. But this is actually uh, what I'm going to do if Rob thinks it's okay. I think it's groovy. Rob is supposed to re- start the review That's this album, But it. Rob, could you review the next two albums? And let me start this one. Yeah, sure. Is that okay?
1: Uh, Rob will get the other two Beatles. Yeah, this, your review will not change my review, so go. For
0: I know, it. I know. I just, I just want for, for, I just wanted to start this one for some reason. I, I just because I'm going into some stuff, and I thought it'd be better if I started. And uh, I always want to just leave you to start with George and Ringo. Oh, oh yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, you get the important Beatles. <laughs> <laughs>
0: We're just kidding, people, except the Ringo part. Uh, <laughs> Uh, this, uh, this album was, uh, well, this was a difficult album because this was a difficult period, uh, for John Lennon. He had released the, uh, disastrous Sometime in New York City album in 1972. An album we reviewed on this album, uh, uh, we reviewed Sometime in New York City, uh, last year. Last year. And I gave a scathing review and I said, I rated it the worst Beatle album of the 70s. Solo Beatle
1: album of the 70s. Yeah, that was the one I said I was not going to listen to again. (laughs) i was going to say very likely, but no, I don't think I'm going to listen to it again. You can't get a more damning critique than that. I
0: can't see myself ever listening to this (laughs) album again.
1: It was just... (laughs) It made me feel bad. So, <laughs> yeah, it—that's it, the it, only it was, one.
0: It was a stinkeroo. It was, it was, it was. And I bought this. I bought that album, and it was like, wow. I, is this John Lennon's joke? Who's playing a joke on me?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the music was still good, but uh, I mean, the playing on that, but in the right. Yeah, but the, the, the words just—they're they, angry enough that they scared me away.
0: They—they they, they made me angry. And this, not, and uh, not in a way that I was. I was that he wanted it. It was angry that why are you making this album? Why are you wasting two records, <laughs> not just one record? Yeah, but you're was was wasting vinyl? <laughs> <laughs> um, so he made that, and then that went over like terribly. And then uh, he's uh, having troubles with Yoko, and she's really as he, he he wrote this album in a week. He didn't write for a whole year which was a good move after some time in New York City not to write for a whole year. Uh, stinker. So uh, he didn't write for a whole year and then he wrote this album in like a week, which is <laughs> kind of amazing. It kind of shows you how a much of a okay. brilliant person John He wrote the album in a week that
1: makes a bit and more sense. he
0: kind of went away and wrote the album. And then just as it was about to begin, he had, they had, he had broken up. Yoko had actually, actually what's interesting, Yoko recorded her album is that uh, they released the album on the same day. She released her solo album, he released Mind Games, uh, both on October 29th, in America anyways. And um, then they went their separate ways for, as we know, the the so-called Lost Weekend. And then they got back together in 1975. But uh, this, was, uh, this was an album that as he started, he was on his own and uh, yeah, and he had May Pang there who became... That's a whole other story. I'm not talking about that. We're talking about the music. It's just, it's just a whole big soap opera going on <laughs> <here>. <laughs> That really doesn't do uh, too much. It doesn't really add anything to the stage. Anyways, he's trying to make an album uh, to combat the kind of uh, negative uh, ugliness he created with Sometime in New York City. As you'll kind of find when you listen to this album, it's, it's not as upfront and in your, in your head, like a headache, as uh, sometimes New York City is. Uh, two things. Personally, uh, I did buy this album early 80s. And uh, again... I feel the same about this album. It really is incredible. It really is. And I can't tell you why, Rob, that I had so much clarity as to why I either liked or disliked an album when I was like 12 or 13 or 11. But I did. And then when I listened to it later on, 10, 20, 30 years later, my my viewpoints actually stand up. And this is from like a 12-year-old. Fuck
1: unbelievable
0: <laughs> but you know listening to this album after having listened to it for quite a while i still agree with what i thought about when i was 13 uh i feel like i do with every beatles release almost except for paul mccartney's releases it's being really fucking gypped <laughs> because when i every time they re-release like a beatles album except a paul mccartney so- solo album they they give the cheap thing and, and there was not a lot of, uh, first of all, it's a terrible cover. I think it's a terrible cover. It looks terrible. It, it doesn't convey anything about the music to my, to my estimation. And it actually even makes me kind of dislike the album from the start, just because they, that's how much I always say, uh, uh, how important an album cover is. Uh, but then the only thing that they added, which is okay when it first was released was on both sides of the sleeve was the lyrics so when i bought it in the early 80s it was on of course it's it's second reissue or third reissue and they had of course there was it was bare bones to begin with and then they had the same um what do you call it uh lyric sleeve but then no lyrics and it's like and it was called a budget release and it's like how much of a budget do you have that all you took away was the lyrics on each side how much does it cost to do that
1: to print (laughs) <laughs> I mean they're already running it through the thing which puts the picture on it aren't the words part of the picture yes so I'm always it's see not, I didn't know about that stuff back then it's not going through a printing press for crying I know. out loud
0: it just it just really aggravates me because I, I think it's like what's why is it good to have it at, on, a, on a first issue but then all the other ones it's not good enough <laughs> like what does that mean I don't know I don't know what that means it's it's like having a releasing a motion picture and then saying you know what because it's, a, because it's going on TV, we're going to like, take like 20 minutes out of it. <laughs> just because. Um, I've seen. <laughs> no reason. It's not because of any swears or anything, but we're just going to take 20 minutes out of it. Just because we just feel like it. And that's why I just get mad at that. At that seems like inconsequential point. But, uh, and I wish I would have. I don't know if I would have done anything at the time. There was nothing you could do. You protest. You could. I would look for first issues back then if I knew, but I'd actually never knew that until a long time after that there was a difference between the first issue and and all the others. Anyways, I you really like that. With I don't know. I don't think that was a Beatles decision. I think that's a record company bullshit EMI thing. Oh yeah, let's leave it. Yeah, I mean, that's they,
1: EMI. That's I've EMI. got a few bad things to say about EMI. So does the Sex Pistols. <laughs>
0: Yeah, he did that EMI thing last week. Nobody liked it. Um, kind of an okay band playing on this album. Uh, Michael Brecker on saxophone, people may have heard. Oh, of course, the Jim Keltner, who plays on everything, <laughs> on drums. One of the best drummers in the world. One of the best studio drummers in the world. Uh, but kind of, uh, and the same people that played on uh, Yoko Ono's album released on the same day called uh, Feeling the Space. Uh, We will be reviewing, uh, hopefully this year or early next year, Yoko Ono album, but we have to get fairly intoxicated to do it.
1: (laughs) We'll save that for the 200th show. I'll be
0: drinking then. (laughs) And uh, yeah, an okay band, but nothing out of the extraordinary. Not like the people that, uh, you know, the other solo Beatles were getting. Um, Anyways, let's review the album. I uh I I didn't think much of this album when I first heard it. I thought it was uh, tepid uh, MOR. Uh, I uh, <clears throat> I don't think I I love Mind Games the song. I think I like I think there's technically 12 songs although the Newtopia National Anthem yeah, is actually silent.
1: silent. Yeah.
0: But if we're going to call it a song because it's on there, let's call it a song. So there's 12 songs on there. I actually only think four are really good. And one of them is Mind Games, which I, I think is this... Now, John Lennon produced this album by himself for the first time. No Phil Spector on it. No crazy Phil Spector. Uh, but he goes for the Phil Spector sound.
1: He does. And I don't like it.
0: Uh, <laughs> I'm not a big fan of the production. I think the more upfront that that John Lennon is sometimes, the better. Like... Uh, Paul McCartney's Red Rose Speedway, which I thought was excellently produced, putting Paul up front and having varied production things. Uh, I don't like to compare albums, but I'm just saying, you know, like this. And this sounds the same all the way through, uh, which I think is also a detriment to this album. Is that it? It, it just kind of doesn't vary at all. It has that same production of that wall of sound that I don't. Uh, that just just for these types of songs, uh, I. I, I don't think they serve them well I don't think this I think more of a Plastic Ono band album is the way I like to hear John Lennon um <clears throat> um yeah there's only like uh i gonna tell you Mind Games is a a great song every time it comes on the radio I just I just flip over it uh he writes a couple of extremely lame rockers uh tight as or tight ass depending on I how would, you want uh, to
1: say it I don't like that kind of language <laughs> That was not one I liked. This is, a no, you know, that was uncalled for. Um,
0: and uh, and one of the worst songs he's ever written, "Meet City," at the end of the album, are just uh, are just tepid rockers. My so,
1: comment there was lyrics just silly. Yeah, they are just <laughs> silly,
0: and uh, the it just seems like lazy. And uh, they just seemed like rockers because he needed rockers. And uh, oh, well, very disappointing. I The whole thing permeates MOR to me. The whole thing is so un-John Lennon-like. It's just so middle of the road. Oh, fuck. Uh, um, I did like, like I said, I liked Mind Games. I liked Bring on the Lucy. Yeah, Free the people now. now. I thought that was... I thought that there was extremely interesting parts through the whole song. Uh, again, uh, he's starting to wear thin with his people get together and we're going to change the world stuff. You can feel that, that it's the wrong time. People? Are you talking about only people? No, or? I'm talking about free the people. Okay. Now. Do it, do it, do it, do do Now. <laughs> um, I find that his message is getting tired and I uh, and of course, I find that his messages to Yoko. There's two types of songs on this
1: record, basically. There's four of them, at least I know I can identify with uh, as being four are about Yoko.
0: Yeah, I think I think I think most of the. It seems that there's either the social critical song, like a song like "Only People" and "Free to People" and uh, uh, even "Meet City," which is a piece of shit. But, uh, and then there are the songs about apologizing to Yoko uh, as they have separated, which sound like M.O.R. bullshit, um, except for, uh, oh, Intuition is such a terrible song. Intuition. Sounds like something um, Jack Jones would sing, you know, The Love Boat. (laughs) <laughs> oh, no, I'll pull. Intuition, we'll be making <laughs> just horrendous, and I don't mean horrendous, but I mean horrendous for for John Lennon. It just seems like
1: so beneath his ability. I like the lyrics. I didn't like the melody. The uh, lyrics were one of the few. Uh, the, the, the ones that I could actually kind of uh, associate with something. Yeah,
0: oh, I agree with that. I, it wasn't the lyrics that bugged me; it was the
1: that awful. It was the it was style. the production.
0: It was the it was the it was the the instruments that are being played. Uh, the the women background singers who were really loud sometimes, so you're drowning out the power of drama. Very friendly. It's trying to be very friendly compared to some time in New York City. This is really a, a salve over the 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 damage he caused sometime in New York City. But there's no energy to yeah. it. There's no emotion to it. It just sounds like words when he sing when he sings a sem which is I'm sorry. It doesn't sound all that uh, desperate like he did on Plastic Ono Band where he sounded like he was living or dying by those words. This is so M-O-R. Like, this is like, uh, I, well, he sings Out the Blue very nicely. But intuition just sounds like bullshit. It just sounds like a song to attract viewers into his album or listeners into his album. Nothing more than that. Only people I thought was crap too. Uh, uh, just as far as the music was concerned and as far as the production. One of the standouts, one of the th- four songs was I Know, which I thought was actually an excellent song.
1: I know the only criticism I had of that one was uh, a mixing thing. The opening verse is almost unintelligible. Yeah. Due to the. Uh, but th- then you get into the song and uh, the mixing improves. I agree. It's funny how this song kind of
0: started weird and then all of a sudden went into greatness. But but as a written song, very, very nice. Uh, I used to play this song. I used to play this song. Is the only song on this album for a long time. I really love this song. Um, and I love this song so much. I think I heard more to this song that actually was there like 20 years ago, about, about the year 2000. and. For some reason, there was something about this song that I was really attracted to, and I used to play it a lot like like once every two weeks, I'd put that song out but there I love this song, and now that I am hearing about it, there really isn't all that much to it. I think I was just uh at that time could could really uh was emotionally happy yeah, about it a
1: bunch of these songs lyrically you know how you were telling me he was um uh, talking to George Harrison when he was writing something and telling him you know just if you're stuck on a line, put something in there. To you know, get the Love so that you can advice. move on. Love that advice, and I think he did that more on this album than I'd ever heard before. Yeah, and, but, and he in said, one week, but he I always said, but he always
0: said you change it later, and it sounds like on in writing her, it, he, he one didn't week. bother to change. Yeah.
1: It. <laughs> in writing in one week, I don't think he got around to changing it.
0: And that's what I meant with what I said with Paul McCartney last week. And even though I like this album, uh, I'd write it about the same. But I, I the red, and I'm not, uh, I'm not comparing the albums I'm just saying I would sure as hell love to hear Red Rose Speedway a lot more than that. For I would want to hear this album any day of the week and I felt that for 50 40 years so it's not like this is coming as a new shock I've always felt and this is again this did not help John Lennon uh, this M.O.R. type of uh, listless non-energy type of album uh, put him in the back of the pack uh, Ringo Two months later one month later would release his smash album ringo which made him actually the most popular beatle <laughs> with all his hit singles and then he released the ringo album which i said when we reviewed it was one of the for for what it tried to do was a complete and total success five star record I, I rated it and uh he just hit the mark a hundred percent george harrison of course everything up to you know Started with nineteen seventy-three. We'll talk about that next week. He's hitting out of the park. Paul McCartney, even though his albums are, are getting slagged, is still haven't hit singles every six months. Red Rose Speedway did not do good, as we talked about last week, as far as critics and and but the fans bought the album and my love went to number one. My love you. so John Lennon is lagging behind big time. You could you
1: could feel that on this album he doesn't know where to go. No, he's got uh, troubles at home. He's got troubles professionally. Uh, I mean, if something doesn't sell, you you reel in and find out. Okay, well, what do I think I did wrong and change it? And you know, if it does sell, you say, well, what sold? And I'm gonna do more of the same. But. Uh, does he seem lost on this one? Like, yeah, I mean, Paul, would, I knew uh, Wings was an evolution. They were learning to grow together as a band, and they were going through the right steps. And uh, this, is a, he's moving backwards just a bit. Yeah.
0: And it's definitely, you can definitely hear that, wow, I really fucked up with some time in New York City. And this had, this was a little bit too much to the other side, a little bit too M.O.R., a little bit too friendly. And he lost the energy can't make this two on the edge. And yet he went way over into the, I mean, the worst example is uh, You Are Here, which is another song for Yoko, which is so M-O-R, it's, it's hard to listen to. And it's so beneath John Lennon. And uh, yeah, um, so I liked, uh, I really liked one, what again, one, now it's getting worse. Now it's even, I think, three. One, two. <laughs> one, two, three. Yeah, I actually really only like three songs uh, really off this. Out the Blue's not bad, though. I'll say four. I'll be nice and say four out of 12 songs.
1: Okay, Bring on the Lucy was one that I liked.
0: was that a good song? Really, wasn't it? You'd expect it not to be good because it's going to be a political song, but it ended up being really good.
1: There was like I said, I like the uh the lyrics on Intuition, but then when it got into the chorus, uh Intuition eh, eh. <laughs> um, You are here I liked musically, and uh, when he was singing it, it, it kind of gave me a, a Roy Overson feel. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was weird. I had more of a Loggins and Messina feel, but there you go. Only people. Uh I wrote uh hippy dippy shit. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, that's not a compliment. <laughs> but I, I especially have to read you my opening comments here because uh, the, the, I wanted to, you know, on the Phil Spector thing, my opening comment was mix of, uh, on some songs, a bit funny. Like I was trying to, early on, I had a thing uh, a few weeks back. Um, we were doing uh, The Slits. And I decided to put on my headphones and listen just uh, in the computer there. But uh, my, uh, my stereo headphone jack, uh, you have to actually pull it out a little ways. To get both the speakers working.
0: Oh, I had, I used to have to do that with
1: mine. Yeah, yeah I didn't realize that when I, I had the first listen for the mm-hmm. slits. And one of the first comments I crossed off was uh, possibly the mer- worst mixed recording ever on, this while <laughs> on the show. <laughs> so then when I fixed that problem, I had to cross that comment off.
0: I don't, I Sorry, that wasn't your
1: fault, uh, people. <laughs> but my point is, I was listening to this album, and it was like, is uh, something not right here? Like, I was listening to the headphones, and then I did a listen on the, uh, the speakers because. Uh, the mix on the songs was actually distracting it was uh weird
0: wasn't it drawing me away like that's what the point that i was making i think yeah. with either out the blue or i know where i was going man i really i think it was mm. i know because i was going man i used to really like this song like a lot like i was saying and now i was listening
1: and i said why is the girl singer so upfront? Yes, the balance of the voices, the layering of the voices uh, on some songs, it was good, mm-hmm. and then on uh, at least half the other songs, there was one or the entire song, one place or the entire song where uh, it was not good, and I I kept thinking it was a problem with me as a listener because this is John Lennon and he's got uh, professional help, but the layering of the voices and the the background instruments, I thought that's Phil Spector. Did Phil Spector go too far? And then uh, I read up a bit and realized, it's not Phil Spector. It's John trying to be Phil Spector. Trying to be Phil Spector. Uh So yeah, he didn't do as good a Phil Spector as Phil Spector does. That's why (laughs) Phil Spector uh,
0: was, as far as producing, was a genius. And John Lennon was not
1: known for his genius in producing. There was a thing that Mm -hmm. Phil Spector, uh, he can hear. He has a thing that he can hear that uh, the other humans don't have. (laughs) <laughs> and you can tell
0: that it's he's so off the mark on some of these. It's, it's, it's hard to... Like I said, uh, some of the times the strings come in, and you go, why are they so loud? Like yeah. he's just totally... He says, I think he just doesn't know what to do. I think he's confused. Like you said, he's confused in his personal life. I think he brought it into the studio. He didn't want to make another sometime in New York City. But then what do I want to make? I don't know. I think it was just a lot of question marks and that yeah. kind of, can kind of affect how you uh, arrange the songs and i think he left a lot of the actual john lennon off of the table and put in a lot of the production on the table and that's why it sounds like uh an mor album where anybody could have you know any lounge singer could have sang these songs i'm not saying writing songs obviously But I mean, it just sounds like he's singing them and and he's not putting too much emotion into it because he sounds so confused.
1: Yeah, there's not the clear, focused. There's not the heart that, uh, you know. There's
0: not the heart. There's not the energy in this album at all. And uh, luckily, he would get out of this slump. But I tell you, after releasing this album and then sometime in New York City, it didn't look good for John Lennon (laughs) for a bit. I tell you. And then he's got nobody. And then he's in Los Angeles drinking all the time because he doesn't have Yoko. Not a good time, but not an excuse to to make a, a, an average to good album. And he needed to make something better than just a good album, unfortunately, at this time. He because of he the absolute abysmal uh, sometime in New York City, he needed something much stronger than this.
1: He was lucky he had a hit song on this one. I he think.
0: is. You know what? By the way, his only hit song, obviously, if you listen to the album, you understand why, But he was lucky he had such a powerful song on here, or this could have been another sometime in New York City disaster where nothing got played.
1: Yeah, and you can't really have...
0: (sighs) I mean, he could, but how retrievable is it after that? Uh Uh-huh. So he was lucky. Not lucky. I mean, Mind Games is a great song and a great production. It seemed like totally focused in on that one song. Great. It kept them alive until the next record, because without Mind Games, holy fuck... He could have been like, uh, Paul could have been laughing so much. Yeah, at I mean, the
1: fact that uh, Wings did one album that didn't sell and then EMI decided, well, we have to uh, make decisions on what the next uh, Paul McCartney, I mean, he could, be, could have been in that position. Oh, and you know. also, yeah. by the
0: way, two months later, Paul released his band on the run. Boy, is he looking desperate after that? I mean, I mean, at the end of 1973, with Ringo releasing Ringo, and uh, the Ringo album, and Paul then putting all the pieces together and releasing Band on the Run. It scared. It must have scared John Lennon to thinking I got to get really serious. Yeah. Now. I better not do any more
1: of these uh, overly politicized or one week in the recording studio albums. Yes, so. you're right. You're right. You're
0: you're absolutely right. This was really his last. His last I political th- statement. I think yeah. those
1: two albums, the Ringo and the The Wings album, might have. Uh, yeah, they, they did more to get John to uh, get serious again than uh, anything the record company could have done. I
0: agree. I totally agree. Um, and and the the acceptance that George's album, which we will do next week, uh, Living in the Material World, critically, which was a critical success and commercially. And he had a hit single, huge hit single with Give Me Love, Give Me Peace on Earth. He was the one who is now the only one that's just lagging far behind. And he was supposed to be like the, one of the lynchpins, yeah, right? Yeah, one of the big guys. So that must have scared the fuck out of him. I mean, seriously, like this is not, this is not a friendly competition. This is between four of the biggest acts in, in the world. And you're the one that's supposed to be at, at least tied with Paul. Yet you're way down there. And you don't want to be way down there because you don't like each other right now. (laughs)
1: Ringo just passed (laughs) you. What? Yeah, blimey. I could wake you up. I got two more comments I definitely have to make about the... One is not so much about uh, the album, but about John and Paul and uh, the use of the uh, the lyrics that kind of don't make immediate sense. When Paul does it, uh, I get a sense of whimsy from him. And uh, when John does it, I get a sense of serious from him.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Can I say something? Please. Can I say something about what you said? Because this is what I was thinking about. Uh, I'm glad you brought it up because I wouldn't have thought about it. Um, this is difficult to say because I know that I'm a huge John Lennon fan. I know that there are people who are much bigger John Lennon fans than Rob Paul McCartney. But my point is that I had last week. And this album exemplifies it. And what you just said exemplifies it. Is that why I think that Paul McCartney is not only the biggest genius of the Beatles, but also one of the greatest geniuses that music has ever had. Is because he can take an album like Red Rose Speedway with a lot of gibberish lines. And make it so attractive and yeah. so so and you go
1: he does like, we, like you said voice last week. his choice of melody uh, yes wow. like
0: you said last week this is not a good album like this is not a great album but, but this also- has great ideas yeah that's why it's so attractive and i have listened to red Rose speedway hundreds of times this album i've had for 40 years and i have not listened to it all that much because I don't, and John is brilliant, but I, and I'm sorry, I don't think he's a genius that Paul McCartney is. I think he's a genius in his own way, but he's not the all-encompassing, amazing genius that Paul can turn anything, even the drivel into something you can hum and say, I like that, even though it means shit. Whereas when John, does something like this album you're going what the fuck none of this is attractive to me none of this is attractive and it's it's yes
1: you know what i mean john's vocal appeal is more in the words he chooses than the way he uses his voice yes i did uh, another thing i was thinking this week when i was comparing the two paul is a great singer and john is a really good singer
0: yes john can do great things with his voice but Paul can do great things at any time with anything he's presented with yeah and that's that is only one of the problems the other problem is just Paul can add anything to it he can write a ditty and it can be obnoxious like like single pig, pigeon and then you go that's great whereas how could that be so, <laughs> how so could it, you never say that <laughs> much with uh John Lennon it's it's very serious stuff yeah and it usually he usually can't pass off like a one minute ditty In other words, what I'm saying is uh, John Lennon is brilliant. He is. He's way above us. But when you compare him, which we shouldn't, but you have to, when you compare him with Paul McCartney, Paul McCartney is a fucking genius. He's a genius at everything he does. And it's amazing that you had two brilliant people in the same town, let alone the same band. Let alone in the same neighborhood. I,
1: in, in developing and um, uh, growing musically together, uh, they both kind of learned at the same rate, yes. almost. Yeah. So I
0: guess what I'm saying is, is you're just dealing with brilliance against genius, and how a genius can make something uh, slight yeah. into something wow you want to listen to. Something, another, but a brilliant musician can sometimes rub you the wrong way.
1: Yeah. Paul could uh, make things sound good that a lesser musician couldn't, yeah.
0: So going on, I know you had another one, I just want to say uh, before you say it, um, that's why I give this three stars and I also give Red Rose Speedway three stars as I did last week. But, boy, if you give me two choices of what I'm going to listen to almost every time I listen to Red Rose Speedway, <laughs> um, even though I, I think I'm, I'm... It is a good... This is a good album. It's just extremely disappointing and it, it's 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 just if it was somebody else this would probably be a pretty good album you know what I mean like maybe three and a half four stars but it's not it's John Lennon and it's way below his capabilities and it's lazy and uh, make your final point I'm sorry you had another point that you wanted to make I know you said two points
1: Well, the final thing I want to say is just I, I've, I've come to a a belief that uh, the more John Lennon has something important to say the uh, the easier it is to understand his vocals, uh, the, he's more clear uh, at least on this. Uh, this yes, album I think I
0: he, he's always wanted to hide his vocals because he was always thought he didn't have good good. Uh, uh, what he's vocals, got a good vocals, poignant is, thing to say, which is he's right out s- front, uh, stunning. It's a stunning thing to say because he has one of the best vocals ever, ever. Yeah. And yet he thought that he always tried to double track his vocals and bury them and when he's on un- you know what you're exactly right when he's unsure about his material he hides his vocals under layering and production uh layering
1: of vocals yeah cause and notice uh yeah. the, you know some of the songs on this uh, that uh, you like uh, you can they're a lot clearer his voice is out front a lot more yeah you listen uh to the plastic ono band album and his vocals are right
0: in your ear because he feels that material a hundred percent, he knows he's got a killer album. Just like Imagine, uh, it got a killer album. Vocals are right up front. He's not, he's not really sure, and you can see that with the Beatles too. If he's not sure about a song, he kind of buries it a little bit, and you sure feel that with this album. It's like he buries almost every song on here vocal wise,
1: yep.
0: and it's like it's a production album. It's like almost like a uh a, a production album rather than a John Lennon up front album. It's uh. That's one of the. That's a, a good point. Another one that I had in the back of my head, but I never would have thought to bring up, uh, is how disappointing it is because you feel that he's not only confused, but he's also not exactly proud of it. By the burying of the vocals.
1: Yeah. John. Still, for,
0: still for an album, it's good. Still for an album, it's three star record.
1: Yeah, I can't give it a two and a half. It's, it's not a it's sometime in New York City, which a bunch was a business that's good, and even the bad stuff musically sounds okay. Like, uh,
0: yeah, I mean, I hate Tight as and Meat City, but it's still fun to listen. to.
1: Yeah, it's it's you know some of the lyrics that drive you away on this because they're not well thought out. They're finished in a week, and he didn't. Uh, I think uh, put it no, he didn't put as much work into them as uh, as on. Any other album.
0: If you want to hear... You're almost... I'm not going to say never. But you're almost never going to hear a totally abysmal uh, John Lennon album. Except for some time in New York City when it seemed still to this day hard to believe that he could make an album so unbelievably terrible.
1: He went uh, too far in one direction.
0: (laughs) Yes, he did. (laughs) You
1: know, any of that in moderation would have been fine. Yep, exactly. If he would have divided that
0: in half and everything, it, it... it might have worked. Uh, unfortunately, it worked uh, in the opposite direction in the absolutely horrendous department. And I'm not kidding. I, I, people think may think I'm joking, but it was... It's a, <laughs> when Rob says, give it a listen. I'm not going to listen to that album again. You know that it's a bad album. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we
1: agreed. We might even, uh, you know, for Urlark pull out the Ringo album again. <laughs> not this one. No, um, or not that one. <laughs> how many stars did you give us? this? I am gonna give it a three.
0: Yeah, we both we both pretty much saw. There's enough same good well. on it that uh, I, I agree. I, I
1: like Mind Games, and it's not uh, terrible, but it's lazy and it's not a good
0: album. You know what? Again, that says everything for me too. It's not a terrible album. It's awfully lazy and it's awfully unenergetic, and it's. If you uh, put more time, the, the parts are here. I agree. I think we agree 100% on this album. We both give it three stars because we both uh, heard it the same way. And I think a lot of people do. Uh, But don't worry. In history, John Lennon recovers. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) As you will find out next year. But you have to wait till next year. He
1: gets fighting mad. (laughs) (laughs) You thought I was down and out? I'm not down and out. (laughs) Stay down, John. (laughs) (laughs) So
0: that's our show for this week. If we didn't have the two longest shows ever, this would be our longest show, if you can believe it. (laughs) Uh, I swear we'd never have a show this long again, but we did. But we had a lot to talk about, and it was a really good show because we talked about two things, and we had to get our points across. Now, next week, we will have another album by an ex-Beatle released in 1973, 50 years ago. Will it be John or Paul? (laughs) Probably. (laughs) Probably. Not, Not. <laughs> or maybe another maybe beetle. Oh, <laughs> there's another beetle.
1: Yeah, there's a <laughs> uh, Bleen Bleen the beetle. <laughs> uh,
0: you will have to tune in and see. But until then, uh, everybody, uh, please take care and stay safe. Just on. Butt Puncher. He hates crime, but he hates women even more. <laughs>